The last few months have been absolutely wild, weird for that matter. The last few weeks have been wilder still. In the last few days, I would tell you, have been just absurdly ridiculous. This week, some guy in a double coonskin hat with horns uh, looking like a half-Viking, half-Grizzly Adams, makes it to the Speaker's chair of the United States Capitol, and there he gets famous. Now, he also gets arrested, but there he gets uh, famous. This week, our nation, you look around, and it is divided. It is filled with anger, hatred, and chaos. This week, our culture is one of lawlessness, of selfish pride, and rapidly increasing moral evilness. Things we wouldn't have even imagined 20 years, 30 years ago are, are now accepted. Radically increasing moral evilness. And I, I watch all of this uh, just this week. I, I watched this uh, congressman from Missouri uh, trained in a Methodist seminary, and he opens the 117th session of the Congress of the United States of America praying to the pagan Hindu god Brahma, uh, claiming he's an expression of the one true God. And I watched that, and that's, that's appalling. And he ends his di disgusting, slanderous prayer uh, in the ridiculous statement, amen, in a woman. Uh, sadly, I, I watched that and think how absurd that is. Sadly, his attitude reflects that of many in our nation who have denied the absolute truth of God's word, and they are now trying to include everybody, and in doing so, they have excluded the one true creator God. Friends, that is our day. And I think about that, that's just this week. This guy at the Capitol, this guy in his prayer, all of these things, that is not a joke. Uh, we, we, we would try, uh, maybe hard-pressed, to write something so, uh, so ridiculous, so insane. That is our day. That is happening right now. Let me just tell you this. And what we need right now is a movement of God. What we need right now is a spiritual awakening. What we need is what we've been saying for a whole long time. We need a revival today. We need a movement of God today. I'll just tell you, my heart burns as I watch that prayer, as I see these things. My heart burns for a movement of God today. I want to be part of a revival today. Well, here's a good question. Well, when will that happen? When will that happen? That's what our nation needs. That's what our churches need. That's what a lost and dying world needs. When will that happen? I actually made a list of things that would be necessary. And you can think of a whole lot of things, prayer. It had to be bathed in prayer. It had to be ushered in in the power of God. It would take prayer. It would take repentance. It would take a turning to God. And I, I started building that list, and you can build on down through that list. But the question is, when will that come? When will that happen? When will that take place? Well, I want you to listen very carefully this morning. In the midst of an absurd time, here is the answer. It will happen, and it will only happen when Jesus is preached. And that, that's the fact. It will only happen when Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the remedy for sinners, the only way it's ever going to happen is when he is preached. And let me just tell you, that sounds 
silly today. That sounds ignorant today. That sounds old-fashioned today. Of course, that's what you're going to say. But I want to tell you, there will only be a turning, a movement of God, a revival when Jesus is preached. Well, how tremendous, that's what we're, what we're going to see in our verses today. And I, I thought about that, how ironic, I guess I could say how ironic it is, but actually it's God's perfect timing that that's what we're going to see on this Lord's Day in the midst of this chaos. That's what we're going to see. Our message today is entitled, The Call of the Gospel, The Call of the Gospel. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 41, a pretty good chunk of verses, Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 41, the call of the gospel. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 13, beginning in the 13th verse, Here's, here it goes. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took 450 years. After these things, they gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he had testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his, before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, the sons of Abraham's family and, among those, um, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers Recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, 
that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the, in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe though someone should describe it to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for this day, for this hour, for this event. Lord, I'm thankful for the Word of God, which is living and active and speaks today, is relevant right in this moment. Lord, I'm thankful that as we watch our world spin into utter chaos, that you have not left us without the truth, that you have not left us without an anchor that will hold, that you have not left us without hope that stands. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would embolden us, that you would strengthen us. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us. Lord, I pray if there's one here that does not know you, I pray that in the hearing of the good news of a risen Savior, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I know this is a supernatural event. And I pray that you would bless it, that you would multiply it, that you would use it. We give it to you. We love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, we have a lot of verses, so we're going to get started very quickly this morning. Verse 13 says this. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, remember the context as we start back this morning. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark had left Antioch, the church in Antioch, and they had traveled to the island of Cyprus. The Bible tells us, and we studied these verses the last two weeks, they came to the island of Cyprus. They start at the north part, the, the top part, and they traveled the, the distance of the island, the 90 miles of the island, all the way to the bottom, preaching the word of God. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ all the way across this island. They were preaching the word of God, the truth of our Savior, Jesus. Now, last week we saw as they, as they got to the southern part, the, the bottom part of the island, they encountered a false prophet, a false teacher. And we read the episode where they overcome the false by proclaiming the truth. Well, they have made their way through the island, and now the Bible says they leave Paphos. Remember, that is the port city on the southern end of Cyprus, and they travel by boat to Perga. Perga is a city about 200 miles to the north. 
Um, I think it's interesting here, they had been to Barnabas's home island, and now they're going to Paul's home region. And so they leave the island where Barnabas came up, and they move to the region where Paul was from. They make the 200-mile journey. Now, understand, that is quite a trip. This is the point where John Mark, scared or fearful or tired or, or unsettled for some reason, we're not sure the exact reason. This is the point where he deserts them and the Bible says goes back to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if he's made the trip and he's not sure he wants to endure much more of that. I'm not sure if he's grown tired, if he's homesick. I'm not sure what his issue is, but he's unsettled enough here that he goes back to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to see this, and I think that is an indication of this. This is a hard effort. This is a hard effort. It wasn't a, a picnic. It wasn't an easy endeavor. It is a hard effort. They've traveled all the way to the island, and now they've traveled making their way all through the cities and the, and the houses of the island, and now they pick up and travel again, 200 more miles. Now, some Bible scholars say that Paul was sick during this trip. And some say he may have had malaria, may have had something else, but during this part of the trip that he was sick. And so it is an effort to make the trip. All right, verse 14. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. They arrived at Perga. They go... Uh, from Perga, another 100 miles across land. So understand, they've traveled approximately 200 miles by boat, and now they go another 100 miles across land, land to Pisidian, Antioch. Now, I think it's important to understand, it was not only 100 miles, it went from there at sea level where they docked to an elevation of about 3,600 feet. And so it not only was a 100-mile was a journey, it was an uphill journey all the way. And so it was an effort to get there. It was a strain to get there, especially if he had been sick. All right, verse 15. I want to read 14 again. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets the synagogue officials sent to them saying, brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Now, understand on the normal Sabbath day, they go to the synagogue. And there in the synagogue, there are the normal happenings taking place. They are praying in the synagogue. They are reading the scriptures there. They have read a section of the law. They have read a section of the prophets. It was common to ask a trained rabbi to speak at this point, especially if there were a guest rabbi. Well, Paul is highly educated. He was educated by Gamal. That was well known. His education was known. He was, he was trained, and so they esteemed him. And so they see this educated man trained by a famous rabbi, and as they finish the day, they say, is there something you would like to add, something you would like to say? They ask him if he would like to, to speak. 
Now, here's what we need to see right here. Up until this point, Paul is found preaching the gospel. From his conversion on, we see he's preaching the gospel. He preaches the good news of our Savior Jesus. The Bible says he preaches the word of God. He has been faithful as a preacher. However, we are now about to see his first recorded sermon. Now listen very carefully. We have sermons of Peter recorded. We have sermons of others. We have sermon of, uh, from Stephen. But now we're going to hear the first recorded sermon of Paul, where we know that he preaches Christ Jesus, now we're actually going to get to hear him preach. We're going to hear what it is that he preached about Jesus. Now, I was thinking about that, and I was, I was thinking, you ever, you ever think, you know what, I'd like to hear Paul preach? Sometimes you think, oh, I'd like to hear Paul preach uh, what, what would he say and how would he start it and what would it, what would it, what would it go like, especially as a preacher? Oh, I'd like to have been there at least one of those times and hear Paul preach. Well, here it is, his first recorded message that we have. Now, we're going to move through the message, and I'm going to point out as we move through this message seven truths about Jesus that we see in this Sermon. We know that he preaches Jesus. We know that Jesus is his subject. Well, now we're going to get to hear what it is that he says, what it is that he reveals about Jesus. And so we're going to see those seven headings as we move through his sermon. First thing we see is this. First thing we see is this. We see Jesus as the subject of preaching. Jesus as the subject of preaching. Listen to verse 16. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now men of Israel, these were talking about the Jewish folks. You who fear God, these were Jew, Gentile converts to Judaism. These were Jewish sympathizers. And so he addresses the entire crowd, these Jewish folks and these Gentile folks who are Jewish sympathizers. He addresses the entire crowd. The Bible says he stands up, and then I want us to see one word right here, and it's this, listen. He says, listen. In the original language, in the Greek, it means to hear, or get this, to understand by hearing. Now, this is big. He stands up and he says, understand by hearing. Listen, hear this. Get this today. Be sure of this. Jesus is the subject of preaching. Jesus is the subject of preaching. Now, listen, there's a lot of... of in our Bible, there's a lot of verses in our Bible. There are a lot of topics in our Bible, but there's really only one subject in our Bible, and that is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. 
And you know what? You can go and say, you know what? It's talking about this issue. It's talking about this subject. It's talking about this historical account. But I want to tell you, there's only one subject of Scripture, and it is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, listen to me this morning. The subject of preaching is Jesus. Listen to me. How do you lead people to Christ? You preach Jesus. How do you give people in this day hope and help them find peace? You preach Jesus. How do you start a church? How do you grow a church? How do you lead a church? You preach Jesus. How do you begin a movement of God that would spark a revival? You preach Jesus. You want to know what's wrong today? You want to know why church seems powerless today? It's because there are many pulpits today that seldom to never preach Jesus. Here's what I've noticed. And you can go, and we, we live in a day where you can hear a whole lot of sermons. You can go online, and you can hear a whole lot of sermons from a whole lot of churches. You can turn on your radio and hear a lot of sermons from a lot of churches. Here's what I've noticed today. Most sermons today in the Christian church are all about us. You ever notice that? You can turn on a sermon, you can turn on the radio, you can go on the internet and you'll hear a sermon and that sermon will be all about you and it'll talk about the fact that you are good and do you know who you are and you know what, you're okay or you know what, you're, you're enough. There'll be sermons about how to be blessed and how to be blessed in this endeavor and how to be blessed with these things and if you're not blessed enough, do these things and gain a greater blessing. There's going to be sermons about overcoming the giants in your life and walking around the walls, all will fall down, and all the sermons today are about us. Well, Paul shows us in his sermon, and he's going to show us in six more ways. The subject of preaching is Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something else here before we move out of this verse, and that is this. Notice He's not going to demonstrate the gospel. Do you see that? He, he's not going to demonstrate. He's not going to say, you know what? If we'll put in this ministry and we'll do this thing and we'll do this thing, they'll come by and they'll see the gospel. He's not going to demonstrate the gospel. He's not going to live out the gospel. He is going to preach the gospel. He says, listen with your ears. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing, first thing, Jesus is the subject. Second thing is this, he preaches Jesus as the point of history. Now, this is his actual sermon. What an awesome thing. He preaches Jesus as the point of history. First, he shows us Jesus is the subject of preaching. Then he shows us, second, Jesus is the point of history. All right, listen to verses 17 through 22. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he had also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. All right, notice this in these verses, and we see it all the way through the sermon. These folks, these Jews, loved history. They loved their history. And they, they like to talk about, and they like to have it written down, and they like to, to, to remember Abraham and the accounts of Abraham and Isaac, and they like to talk about Isaac, and they like to talk about Jacob, Israel. They, they love the parting of the Red Sea, and they like to talk about on this day, this happened, and, and this plague was unleashed. And they like to talk about the Jordan River and how when they stepped into it in flood stage, it, it stood back up. And they like to, to talk about Joshua. And they love to talk about the days of King David and when he was a youth and when he was the great beloved king, the greatest king they'd ever known. And Paul here preaching Jesus reveals that Jesus is the point to history. How, how smart is that? They love history, and they're tied to their history. Well, he comes along, and in, in a very short sermon, as he's preaching, he preaches that Jesus is the point to history. Understand this, and this stands today. In history, we find the truth of God, who he is. In history, he's our creator. In history, he's our sustainer. We can go back to particular accounts. In history, we find the truth of God, who he is. In history, we find the problem of mankind, sin. We find the original sin, and we find accounts of the effects of sin, and we find the accounts of continued sin after that. In history, we find the problem of mankind, sin. In history, we find the redemptive plan of God as it unfolds, and that's what this history is. As you pass through the account, we see the redemptive plan of God as it unfolds. That is revealed in history. In history, we see that he is gracious and he acts to save. He is the God that saves. In history, revealed in history, we see that Jesus is the subject. We see that Jesus is the need we see that Jesus is the provision. We see that Jesus is the climax and the apex. And as he preaches, Paul marches them along, revealing to them that Jesus is the point of history. How awesome is that? How profound is that? They love their history. Well, he says, let me start here and we'll work through it. And I'll show you this one. Jesus is the point to all history. Now, Tied very closely to that, we find Jesus as the subject of preaching. We find Jesus as the point of history. And then he preaches Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, there's a couple of different verses we can pull that out of. Let's look at verse 23. From the descendants of this man... According to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Look, Jesus. From the descendants of this man, according to, the, to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now, they had just read from a prophet, and now Paul tells them the promise that was made to King David 
is fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, now that is a, a tremendous thing. Imagine as they're hearing that. They, they read these prophecies every time they get together on the Sabbath. They cling to these prophecies and say, well, you know, in this scroll it says this thing. Well, they have read the prophecies, and there in their hearing, he tells them that the promise that was made to David is, is fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. How, how huge is that? How big is that as they hear that sermon? He is showing them that all of, pro, all of the prophecy concerning the Messiah ends in Jesus. The promise in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. The promise made to Abraham, the promise made to David. All of the countless prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and Micah, all of those prophecies end in the person of Jesus. Now, now to, us, to us, that is amazing. To us, that is something to see but to them, understand, that is mind-blowing. That, that is so terrific, it is astounding. Every Sabbath we get together and we read these scrolls of prophecy and he marks it out and shows them those prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. This one, Jesus, the Nazarene, is the fulfillment of prophecy. What a sermon that is. And I try to picture that, and, and we, we lose so much being this far from it, but what a sermon that must have been. All of those prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus, the Nazarene. All right, the fourth thing he preaches, he preaches Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Now listen very closely. He preaches Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Listen to verses 26 through 29. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, all of y'all, listen. To us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate and he, and he, that he be executed. Verse 29, when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Now I wanna tell you, I could go on and I could preach maybe a week, three or four more sermons on this set of verses. Here's what happened. They expected God's Christ, the Messiah. Hey, they were trained Jews. They knew that he had promised a hope, a savior. They knew the scriptures. They were looking for, they expected, because God is faithful, the promised Messiah. They searched for God's salvation through this promised Savior. Now listen, they weren't, they weren't saying we don't need a salvation. They just misunderstood it. They are looking for salvation that would come through this Savior. Listen, they were waiting. They were wanting a king. They needed, they wanted a king. But here's the deal. They did not expect that Savior to die as the sacrifice for sinners. Now I want you to see how mind-blowing this point of, the, of his message is. This is paradigm wrecking 
for, the, for these Jewish folks. You see, they are looking for a leader, yes. God had promised them a leader. They're looking for a savior. They're looking for one that would call up an army and drive back the threat of Rome. They are looking for a victor, one that would not be defeated. They're looking for a king, one greater than his father, David. They're looking for a king. Their eyes are looking for those things, but here's what they needed. They needed a lamb. And in the craziest turn, God sent both. And he tells them, when he went to that cross, it was the Lamb of God going to the altar. He tells them when he shed his blood there, this is so mind-boggling to them, when he shed his blood there, it wasn't just to silence a man, it wasn't just to put him out of our sight, but it was the Lamb of God shedding his blood for the remission of sin. And when he died on the cross, it was as their Lamb. And he explains that's what was happening there. There's so much in those, in those verses there. There's so much going on there. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what they just heard? They kill the one that would save them. The shed blood of the one, of the only one that, that would be for their salvation, their redemption. And as they carry out their evil plan, they are fulfilling at the exact same time God's gracious plan. And as they stand there, if they're tired of their sin, if they're sick of their sin, the guilt and the shame of their sin, if they're looking for a permanent sacrifice, oh, I need a lamb. Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. Amen, what a sermon. The fifth thing he preaches, and they're just linked behind each other, the fifth thing that he preaches Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus as the anointed of God. Listen to verses 30 through 37. Listen to this. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news, listen to that, the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that, listen, in that he raised up Jesus. As it also is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. As for the fact that they raised, that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not, allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God with his own generation, after he lived, he fell asleep. He died and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Now, I want you to see what he's saying here in these verses. He is saying to them, how do we know, how are they to know that Jesus was the Savior? How are they to know that Jesus was the payment for sinners? How are they to ever know that the payment was received? Now, it seems to line up that way. The prophecies are being fulfilled in him, but how are they ever to truly know that death is defeated? How are they to know that he is the victor? Very simply, how are they to know that Jesus the Nazarene is the Messiah? Here's how they know. Though they had crucified him, he yet lives again. 
Friends, I want you to see that as the declaration. That is the exclamation. That is the good news. That's what it says. We preach to you the good news. That is the difference. He died for sin. He paid the penalty for sinners. He died there on a Roman cross and he was surely dead. The payment was paid. And yet he says, the good news is this. Yet God raised him up. He lives again. And many have seen him here with us. That's why they're preaching. He is alive. And because he is, he is the promise. He is the one. How do you know he's the Messiah? Because he is alive. It's an Easter sermon, evidently. Can you imagine what they're doing? You know what? He's the point of history and it leads to him. You know what? He's the fulfillment of scripture and it leads to him. You know what? He's my hope as a sinner. It points back to him. But how am I to be sure of this? How can I ever trust it? Because he's alive. That's what he says. He's alive. That's the good news. Imagine what they're doing. Sixth thing he preaches. Man, what a sermon. Sixth thing that he preaches. He preaches... Jesus, wow, this is awesome, as the Savior now for sinners. He was a sacrifice for sinners, right, for sin. Now he preaches Jesus as the Savior for sinners. This is personal. See how this has now moved. Verses 38 and 39. Tremendous verses. Therefore, he's alive. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Verse 39. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. I'm going to read that again. That's too important. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sin, it sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Now, here we have the application of the good news, the message of Jesus. Paul proclaims to them, the law can point out sin. That's what it does. He points out to them, the law can point you to holiness. That's what it does. But the law, he points out to them, has no power to do anything about it. The, the law, in fact, condemns you. It says, here's a set of, of rules that you can't keep. Here's a set of rules that you've already broken. It points out your sin. It points you to holiness. But the law is powerless to do anything about it. And he preaches in that instant, yet through him, Jesus there is the forgiveness of sins. He proclaims by faith, by believing, do not miss that, by believing in him, Jesus does what the law could never do. And by believing in Jesus, the guilt of sin is expunged. The law can never do that. By believing in Jesus, the shame of sin is removed. By believing in Jesus, the penalty of sin is paid. The law couldn't do that. By believing in Jesus, the chains of sin are broken. And by faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. And he says, let it be known. 
Let it be known to you, folks. Paul is proclaiming the good news. He is alive again. And by faith in him, you have the forgiveness of sins. Let it be known. What a sermon. The last thing, the seventh thing that he preached in this sermon. Jesus as the subject of preaching. Jesus as the point of history. Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed of God. Jesus as the Savior for sinners. Here's the seventh thing. Jesus as the call of the gospel. Jesus as the call of the gospel. Listen to verses 40 and 41. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets, they've been reading in them, may not come upon you. Verse 41. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Verse 41 is a quote from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. He uses it as a warning. Paul says here he has preached the truth of Jesus. He has made it plain and clear to them. And now Paul says to them, do not be like those who having heard did not believe. And he uses that verse as a warning. Do not be like those, though someone has clearly described it to you, that's what he's just done, that you would miss it. Do not be like one that worse than that, you would scoff at it, you would laugh at it, and you would blow it off. Folks, I want you to hear me this morning. We're about done. I want you to hear me. Nothing today has changed. Nothing today has changed. 2021, we think the world's gone crazy. Nothing today has changed. We preach Jesus. We preach Jesus as the point of history. We preach Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. We preach Jesus as a sacrifice for sinners, the perfect lamb of God. We preach Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed Savior sent from God. We preach Jesus as our only hope, the Savior for sinners. We preach Jesus, and the call of all of our preaching is to receive Jesus. The call of all of our preaching is to trust Jesus. Listen, there is a call to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a response to be had. And the response is the same. Do not be like one that would miss it. Do not be like one that would have it explained and denied. Do not be like one that would blow it off and scoff at it. The call of the gospel is trust Jesus. What a sermon. Times are crazy. Trust Jesus. You're steep. You're covered in your sin. You're guilty in your sin. Trust Jesus. You want to hope that it'll last? Trust Jesus. What a sermon. Trust Jesus. If you're here today, friend, you've never trusted Jesus with your salvation. Nothing's changed today. The call of the gospel, still trust Jesus. Still trust Jesus. There's the forgiveness of sin in Jesus. Trust Jesus. If you're here today and you've put your hope and your trust in Jesus, then I want to tell you our responsibility has not changed. It's the same. So preach Jesus.
Man, we could, we could talk about that guy in his hat. We could talk about that prayer some more. We could talk about the terrible places. We don't know where we're going from here. I want to tell you, nothing has changed today. We trust Jesus. And listen, we preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your word. Most of all, Lord, I'm thankful that all of it points and leads me to an anchor that I have that has not moved, not this week. To a hope that I have that though, though we stand by caskets all during the week, Lord, that our hope has not diminished, but it stands. That though the darkness of the world crowds in, the light is, is brighter today, Lord. Thankful for my Savior, our Savior, our Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for one here that doesn't know you. I pray that in the preaching, the hearing of the good news, just as Paul called them, Lord, you call still, we call still. Lord, let them trust Jesus. Move in their hearts, remove any hindrance. And Lord, I pray in these dark days that we would get our marching orders from your word. We would stand in confidence, we would stand in boldness, we'd push away fear, and we would preach that there is hope today. His name is Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful to declare the truth of Jesus. Then, Lord, we come, and as, as we read through that sermon, may our hearts be moved as well. How unlikely that the Creator would come and humble himself and die for his created. How unlikely, Lord, that the sinless Lamb of God, perfect in every way that didn't need anything from me, would die in my stead. And so, Lord, as I hear that sermon, I praise you. We praise you. We worship you. Lord, in our time of invitation, we ask that you would move, that you would work. We love you. We praise you. Lord, today, listen, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.